Next week, we're going to continue our uh, Jesus, the Way of Jesus series. And next week, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm going to talk about so many great things that the Lord is doing in our church. It's going to be a great day. But I'm not talking about that today. Today, I'm going to talk about what's happening in America. Um, and I, I, I want to, because there is something happening in America, and uh, I want to, I think I, I've never, I, I can't recall a time in 30 years of ministry that I just stopped and said, we need to look at something, but I think we need to look at something. And so we're going to do that. I have no idea how long this is going to take. Um, I, I just really don't. But I, I can tell you, a lot of people have been praying. A lot of people have been fasting for today, including me. And, and so uh, it's going to be a good day. I remember I was in college uh, at, in Florence, Alabama, at University of North Alabama. And, and um, I, I've, I've never been one, for a guy that studied sociology, who is looking at cultural trends, I was always sometimes slow to realize situational awareness. You know, you ever been like in a place where you didn't really have situational awareness? You know, you, I, I was kind of that guy. So, and I remember, um, I remember getting out of my car one day and I got onto this sidewalk, it was a strip mall, I was going into something, and I saw this dude and, um, and he, had a, he had this phone. And, and it, was, it was like, and I was like, oh, that's one of those mobile phone things. Uh, one of those wireless phone things. Now, for all of you that, you know, are under 30, that's literal. that actually might be small uh, compared to what, it, that was the guy that invented that, by the way. And, and, you know, and you know what I saw? I saw a phone. But you know what a lot of people saw? They saw the future. I remember the first time I held a, uh, I had a Palm Pilot. Anybody ever have a Palm Pilot? Come on. Remember those? It's like the precursor to the, it was like a really dumb smartphone, uh, and, and it was just a digital assistant, and I, I just saw a digital assistant. Somebody saw the future. Um, today, there's some things happening in our country, and the reason I want to talk about them is because I, I believe with all my heart that there's something more, way more happening in the American landscape of churches and I think we're seeing it, and I don't want us to just see a phone. I want us to see a future. Um, and I want to make a disclaimer. Look, I've, I, I'm 50 years old. I've been hyper all 50 of them. And uh, I've come to embrace it. Uh, and I want to say, if you're a guest today, there's gonna, I don't know when it's going to be. I don't, I don't know when it'll happen. But there's going to be probably more than a couple of times in, in today's message that I'm going to get pretty worked up. I just don't know where it's going to be. And, and in that time, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to misinterpret burden for anger. Okay? Don't misinterpret burden for anger because it's not. I, I've been feeling this way since the day I got saved. Uh, I, literally, September 2nd, 1990, I've had a burden for the people of God, and that's going to come out today. And, and so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some trends happening in America. I went to Asbury uh, 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 the last day, actually. Uh, it wasn't coincidental. It was for me, but it, it obviously wasn't. I, I went up to Asbury and thought about it, and I, I, I don't think I'm going to make it up there. As many of you know, I, I came to Jesus in an awakening uh, that happened in my church, lasted th over three years. 
And uh, I was part of Promise Keepers, which was a, a huge American awakening that, that shaped our country. And, and so, but it, so I've been to those, that kind of movements before, and my own church went through that. And so for me, uh, I went up to Asbury. But I want to tell you, there's a, there's a couple of things happening right now in our nation's history that's th- shaping history. But one of them I don't think many of you have thought about, that it's, it's a shaper in terms of spiritual, but every pastor, 100% of the pastors I talk to will tell you that something started even before Asbury, and I'm, I put them together in a Venn diagram for you. The first one was COVID. Let me tell you, I haven't, I haven't met a pastor yet. That, that They may be out there, but I haven't met a pastor yet that, that isn't in agreement that COVID thinned the church. It thinned the church. It thinned every church. Now, some churches, people just made larger churches larger, but all you know, most of you go to Clearview every single week. I'm just telling you, I, I talk with pastors all across the country, and, and most of us that do what I do, we have more of a national perspective, and I'm just telling you, and, and I've heard it even from missionaries in Europe, the church is the church, the big C church, the holy Catholic church, as the Apostle Creed would call it, the, the, the church, the global church, it's just smaller across the, across the world. And, and the Lord, but I will tell you this about, especially if you look at Old Testament history, there's never a time, I've never personally seen a time of awakening in my own life or a time of awakening in the Old Testament where thinning came after awakening. It always seems to come before. It comes before. Some call it pruning, some call it discipline, some call it judgment. But I'm here to tell you, for those of you that are into Old Testament history, thinning comes first. And then what we saw with Asbury, here's the thing. Uh, You can Google it. If you don't know much about it, you've probably heard at least a little something about it. But right around this thing with Asbury, the Lord has done awakenings at Asbury uh, College, Asbury University, Asbury Seminary. He's done that since the early 1900s. And I think there's been like eight of them. This wasn't the first one by far, okay? But then there's something else happening, and that is this movie, Jesus Revolution. How many of you have seen Jesus Revolution? Oh, wow, cool. I've seen it twice. Took my boys to see it the other day. You you really need to go see it. It, It's like this really well-polished, amazingly historical um, documentary, but set to what God did in the 70s. And I have a lot of friends of mine that are Calvary pastors that knew Chuck Smith and, and so I never got to meet Chuck, but, but that, that, that's, that's all these, there's, there, listen, it is not an absentee fact that, that the Jesus revolution came out right about the time that Asbury was happening. I'm telling you, that is in the economy of God because it's, it wasn't just what's starting at Asbury, it's happening at other universities and other places. That it's doing what awakenings do. So if you don't know much about Asbury, I want to show you a picture. This is... Um, this is the, the chapel there at Asbury. It's not very big. Um, and here's, here's a picture from the 1970 Big Awakening. Look at this. Bam. See that? Like, same place, right? It was cool to see all these young adults with big, wide polyester collars on their face before God. And then all of these young adults, you know, wearing, you know, Patagonia on their face before God. You know, it was really interesting to see how that was happening. And... And here's what happens, and here's why I say that those worlds are converging. I believe the Lord thinned the church, and then, and then with, with what you see happening in this awakening at Asbury, what I saw, what I saw at Asbury was a movement on the rise, and, and I went up to see it. And I, I went up, I'll say this now before I forget. I went up to Asbury with no expectations, zero. I, I honestly didn't think I would get in the room. 
I'm like, I'm not even going to get in the room. I don't really, even halfway up there, I'm like, why am I going up here? I'm not going to make it in the room. People from, if you don't know, people from all over the world. I saw people from the Netherlands, uh, people that just got back from Japan. I saw people from Brooklyn, New, or New York, Mid, Midtown. I uh, met uh, people from St. Louis and uh, Vancouver. I saw all tribes and tongues. You know, some dude sitting behind me, I, I, he wasn't speaking in tongues. I think he was speaking in Aramaic to his friend. Um, I mean, it, just, it's just, there's just all these different languages, and you, and you saw families. My gosh, there were families everywhere, and, and it was, it was the, I just thought, I'm just going to, my goal was like, I don't know, I'm just going to walk around and see what I get into, you know? Uh, that's kind of was my goal. Uh, and, and when I got there, there was a line that was, I don't know, from here to, you know, I don't know, Mount Juliet, and... <laughs> And, and I thought, well, I'm not getting in there. That's like I thought. And so I walked up to a couple of law enforcement officers, and I said, hey, fellas, um, that, that's, that's a five-hour. They said, that they don't know it, but they're never getting in. And I'm like, yeah. I said, he, said, he said, but if you'll go, if you'll go to one of the seminary side of the street, it's a small, tiny little town, Wilmore, and um, there's, a, there's a room, and you can get into one of the chapels. And so I did. And I made it in, in like, in, you know, within, t- I, there was 50% of the people were in there. I came and sat like somewhere kind of right over in here and, and, um, and within 10 minutes it was full and closed. And, and so that had been going on 24, if you don't know, I'll just tell you this. For the last, for about two weeks, 24-7, people all over the world descended on this little town and worshiped and cried out to God. And so I'm going to talk to you today and here's what I'm going to do. Um, I, I don't know if I should call this a sermon or not. I don't really know that. What I can tell you is I would call it, I would call it, um, maybe I would call it this, interpreting what's happening in our world through the lens of Scripture, which I think is a very biblical thing to do. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 2, if you've got, if you've got a book, a Bible with you, and I hope you do. Um, so, so I want you to, here's what happened. When I, when I got into the room, I, I had no expectations. I didn't, you know, I think it's very dangerous to have expectations and, you know, go up for the hype. And, and I, I didn't have that. I took, a, I took several pieces of paper and a pen and a Bible. But I will tell you, when I got there within 60 seconds of sitting down, uh, the first thing that happened to me was we sang that song that we just sang, um, Come Rest On Us. Now, here's the deal. I've never heard that song before in my life, right? Listen, if you don't like new songs, you're really going to struggle in heaven, okay? <laughs> you're really going to struggle because the Bible says we're singing new songs, right? And so I didn't know that song. So I just began writing the lyrics as fast as I could. And then on the way home, I texted Zach and Alexis. Y'all ever heard this song? Alexis thought he had. Of course, Zach had. You know, it was uh, some of these younger dudes. And, 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 and I'm like, we, we got to sing this song. I, I, I was writing as fast as I could. Then I had to Google the lyrics. And, 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 and so that song will ever be attached to that moment for me. And, but, I, but within 60 seconds, my, my mind rushed to Acts chapter 2. And for three hours... For three hours, I sat in one place, almost three hours, I think it was, uh, something like that, uh, so, more than two, and, and I, I sat there, and for, I just read Acts 2, and I read Acts 2, and then I read Joel chapter 2, and you're going to need to have a marker in Joel 2, because that's what Peter's doing. Peter's quoting Joel, the prophet Joel chapter 2, so you're going to need to make a marker in Joel chapter 2 in a minute, because we're going to go there. So here's what Peter is doing. Here's the context. He's preaching a sermon, 
and, and he starts to quote, it's the day of Pentecost, and, and the Holy Spirit has just come, uh, rested on them and in, in, the, in the recent moments, and Peter begins to preach in Acts 2. They all thought they were drunk. Literally, they thought they were drunk. And then Peter says, no, they're, they're not drunk. It's too early in the morning. And, and then he says, and he picks it up in verse 15. Let's pick it up in verse 15, Acts chapter 2. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So see, Peter had situational awareness. Do you see that? He, 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 he saw something happening right before his eyes, and it made him think of Joel. And Joel says, it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will grant wonders in the sky and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I got a question I want to put in front of you this morning, Clearview. Here's something that I, I really I, I, want, I want to tell you. Here's what, here's what you have to do when you're a guy like me, when you're a preacher and a hyper preacher. You have to, let me tell you what God does sometimes. This is, this is all good for all of you. Sometimes God gives you a word for you, and then sometimes God gives you a word for your people. And so you have to, so that's why it was a really good thing I happened by the sovereignty of God had been booked to speak in Illinois last week because I don't think anybody, I may not even be employed today uh, if I had done that last week. Um, I, there's so much in me and I've had to filter out for well over a week and a half what not to say. Just what, what do we not need to hear. Um, so I had to filter out what is a word for Jason and what is a word for the American church which is included with Clearview. Um, but the question that I want to put in front of you this morning is a simple question, and that is, are you willing to pay the price for revival? Are you? Are you willing? And, and by the way, anything I say today started with me, all of it. I did not expect to happen to me what happened up there, but I walked away a different man. And so... I'll tell you more about that in a minute. So I want to talk to you about, as we look at Acts 2 and what was happening here, I don't want to give you a little bit of history. A lot of people on social media are saying, is this a real revival? And, and this, is, this, is this true revival? What is it? What? And we use these words of revival, awakening, all these things. We use them interchangeably. But I want to give you a little, a little clear contrast. First of all, let's look at this. An awakening is typically when God visits a culture. And a revival is typically when God visits a church. Those are the two different distinctives, okay? Awakenings in the Bible and awakenings across history, even outside of the Bible, when all the way up until today, awakening tend to happen to a nation or awakenings. If you look to missiologists, people that study missions, and they, awakenings tend to happen to cultures, right? Revivals tend to happen to churches. So I want to tell you 
kind of where we're at. And if you want to look, at, you can find this in your Baptist history. You can find this in your church history. You can find this in the way that it's happened, really, even since the days of Martin Luther. And here's kind of a cycle, and I want to show it to you. And we'll start at the 12, the 12 noon. There's, there's typically a, a time of prosperity when the people of God, now this is not just a, to a church, this is the people of God of which we're all included. There's a time of prosperity, and then there's a time of plateau or a time of just ease. And then there's a time of decline, right? And in that decline, out of that decline, reformers will spring up. They're usually not well-received because the reason that you're in decline is because people have gotten fat and lazy, and that's just the honest truth. And so that's just what happens. We get lazy, and it, it happens. In this, By the way, this happens in businesses. You can apply this to any business. And, and, and so it, it becomes to, starts to climb. Then you have some reformers spring up, and then the, the, the year of blessings come, and, and then it just it happens a lot. And I will tell you, many of you, and it's been strange in, a, in the most positive way, I've heard many people in the last 14 days from Clearview, people that I don't normally hear from, people that have kind of like, wow, I, that, it was unique to hear that person say that. But I've heard many different people from many different places in Clearview say, Jason, um, something's happening at Clearview, and I would agree with you. I would agree with you that, 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 that we are coming out of something and coming into something. And if, if it were up to me, if I had to play, tell you where we were on that cycle, I would probably tell you, um, go to the next image. I would say we're probably right there in, in my mind, in, in what I see coming out of COVID, coming out of a long time, you know, Clearview, I'll say this to you, Clearview went through about a decade of decline. The decline started in 2010. But I want to tell you something, friends, and I don't care what you hear at Home Depot, and I don't care what you hear in the grocery store, and I don't care what your friends tell you, we're not in decline anymore. We're not. You know why I know that? Look at the numbers. I'm not even a numbers guy. I don't even think y'all know how much I don't even like numbers. I don't think y'all understand it when I tell you. All of you are business people. God love you. You're, you got to have numbers. There's nothing in my job tells me I got to love numbers. I'm not even sure I like the book of numbers. Okay? I actually do like the book of numbers. Um, I'm going to tell you, I could give a rip, man, about numbers. You know why? Look around our country. If numbers are the key to God's heart, then I can show you people meeting at this hour in huge arenas full of heresy. I'm not concerned. You know what I want to see? I want to see the Holy Spirit. And if, if that equates into numbers, then fine. But in the last two years, Clearview stopped decline two years ago. We've been coming out of that, right? That's the honest truth. And so I'm going to ask you again, are, are you willing to pay the price for revival? Are you willing to pay the price for that? So I'm going to give you a few key terms this morning. When I look at Acts chapter 2, things that they did remember. Now, typically I try to take a passage and break it down, and I've been very careful, man, very careful. I don't want to just like proof text, which is taking something and making it fit your agenda. I'm very wary of that, and I'm very alert to that, and I don't want to do that. What I'm doing this morning is I'm looking at the American landscape, and I'm looking at the Clearview landscape, and I'm looking at the National Church landscape, and I'm looking at the Williamson County landscape, and I'm looking at it through, through the lenses of Acts chapter 2. And what I see that I think we can take away what did Peter and them do and what can we do right now? And I would say the first is we must expect God to move. We must expect God to move. 
You see, here's one thing about th- that why Peter knew what to, you know why he knew to quote Joel? Because he knew his history. And he knew the Holy Spirit was promised. And the man that just died on a cross and came out of a grave said, I'm going to send you a spirit. See, there was a, a time where there was a, a I've always wondered, you know, you know what I've always wondered, like seriously, I've always wondered what it must have felt like to have been in that room when Jesus told him to wait on the Holy Spirit. And they're all just sitting around eating some, like, I don't know, unleavened bread and pomegranates or something, you know? And, and all of a sudden, just, I'm like, yeah, you'd have spoken in a weird language too, man, you know? I mean, something happened. I've always wondered, oh, what I wouldn't have given to have been in that room. See, Peter knew that was coming. Jesus prophesied it was coming, so he knew. But here's the deal. He knew how to understand this is what was to be expected, and I'll tell you kind of what happened to me. See, in, in, this, in this era of time, you've got to understand the greater context. For 400 years, for 400 years, God had been silent. Between the two testaments, the Old and the New Testament, I've thought about those priests many times. You know that? I mean, I've thought about those priests. I remember one time talking to another pastor. I thought, you ever wondered, like, what those dudes did in that 400 year from God? They got up every Sunday, every Saturday. They went to temple. They asked God to speak, and they got nothing. And they did it again for an entire career. And the next generation did, and the next generation did. And the next generation did. And the next generation, nothing. God did not speak. And then he did speak. And boy, when he spoke, he sent his son. And when his son did what he was, had been prophesied to do and go to a cross and then come out of a grave, and then the Holy Spirit came. And so we, we should expect it. When I was driving up to Kentucky, I've been in Kentucky many times, beautiful state, really, really pretty state. But I will tell you, I was going up this hill, and there were, there's probably... By my estimation, I've driven Kentucky from one end to the other, north, south, east, and west over my lifetime. And there's probably, I don't know, seven, maybe eight cell towers in the entire state of Kentucky. And, and, and so what I found was that as I was going up through there, I, there were three of them. I'm like, I'm in the holy grail of like mo- mobile access. And, and I'm pulling up through there. And, and as I'm pulling up through there, all of a sudden, I see these three towers. And I'm telling you, I, 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 I've never heard God speak audibly to me. I'm really jealous of people that have. And, and, but I do know the Spirit of God when he speaks to me. And the first thing, the very first thing that God said to me was a word for Jason that I'm going to share to me. And he just said, raise your tower. I was like, oh, okay. And before that, I had been listening to a bunch of 70s soft rock and from there on, I was listening to a bunch of worship songs because I was supposed to raise my tower. And I walked into that environment. I had no expectations. I was just told to raise my tower, so I did. So when I get there, uh, th- one of the things, this, there was a professor. I-, I think he was a professor. He looked very professorly. He had like on a blue button-down shirt and glasses, and he just looked like somebody that would have taught you English literature or something. And, 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 and this is a Methodist, okay? Now, I'm just going to be really honest with you. There's a lot of evangelicals that have given up on people that are Methodist. And I'm here to tell you, friends, right now they're leading the way. Some of them are. Not all of them. God's doing something. And I don't know what, how that's going to shake out theologically, but he's doing something up there. 
Because you see, out of that movement's going to come a lot of things. And one of the first things that he said, probably in the first two or three minutes, that I have said to this congregation at least 20 times in my five-plus years at Clearview, I thought I was going to fall out of my chair when he said this. He said, I want you to know, he's very quiet, very simple, very gentle man. He's probably 55 years old. And he said, um, what you're seeing, this is normal Christianity. I've said that so many times to this congregation. He said, healing and people being healed from disease is normal Christianity. People worshiping beyond 60 minutes is normal Christianity. People laying on their face before God and weeping is normal Christianity. He said, what you're seeing is normal Christianity. And that really struck me because he's exactly right. He's exactly right. That was what was promised, and we are to raise our tower. So I will tell you, um, that was a big deal for me. It is normal Christianity. Now, um, I'm going to go to the second one, okay? And the second truth I want to show you this morning is that we are never to block. I don't know if we got these out of order, but, but let's go find the one that says um, that uh, we, we are never to block the next generation. Okay, we are never to block them. They show that image for me. Uh, that's number two. If you're taking notes, right? So maybe we're frozen up. I don't know. Until we're there, we go. We're not froze. Hallelujah. Um, that's the first thing that I learned about this whole movement. We are never to block the next generation. When I got to Asbury, the first thing I saw, I had no expectations. I'd been there about 60 seconds. I sat down, and there was a girl, strawberry blonde, probably 20-something years old, and she's just on a guitar. She's just singing. And we sang that song. You're here, and I know you will feel me. Come down, spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound. We probably sang that for 20 minutes. You know what? I didn't care. Didn't matter to me. And the first thing that hit me was this whole thing's being led by young adults, not kids. They're young adults. They're old enough to fly F 16s in the military and fight for your country. They're not kids. And, and in that moment, I, as I was, I was riding as fast as I could, and, 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 and I think that's why, Peter, that's why Peter points back to Joel. I really believe that's why Peter says your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men and all of your bondservants, young and old, will dream dreams. Why? Because that generation was coming up. That generation was coming up, and, and I think it's, it's the first. That's when I hit Axton. Oh, my goodness. This is, I see this girl. I can still see her in my mind, and I see all these young people, and they're crying out to God, and and. I'm like, oh my goodness, it, it, it was, and then it just hit me, Jason, we're blocking them. We're blocking them, we can't block them. We just can't, we can't block them. And as I sat there, and as I continued to read through Acts 2, and read through Acts 2, and read through Acts 2, I think what Peter was doing was he was holding the door open. He was, he was taking that Joel 2, and he was saying, this is what God said. And, he was, and Peter, in some ways, think about who would have been in that crowd. Older Jews, people established, the established religious institution, and, and, and all that institutional was there, young and old, but they were entrenched in their establishment. He's saying, no, 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 a new thing is happening, and we have to give way to it, these Gen Zs. They are not kids. Some are, 
But millennials and the Gen Z people, they are not kids. They are young adults. And I'll tell you what's broken my heart just watching all of this happen. I don't, I don't go online a lot uh, as far as I, I'm not on social hardly ever, rarely, if ever. But I wasn't shocked. All the criticism about what's happening, oh, is this true revival? You've seen that, right? Is this, is this genuine revival? Boy, I just want to say things, but I'm not. Because you know what my first thought was? My whole Christian life as a pastor, I've heard older people crying out that God would do something with our young people. Oh, God, do something with the young people. Oh, God, you know, their music is awful. Oh, God, you know, do something with you. And then when he does, oh, God, is that real? Oh, God. You know, some people, some people are feeling, like, well, there's weird things happening up there. Yeah, you know what? When you get 50,000 humans together, stuff happens. That's weird. There's weird stuff happens when you get about 500 Baptists together on Franklin Road in the, on Sundays. I'm just telling you, you think anything that's not happening up there isn't happening down here? Just because some people probably spoke in tongues that, that weren't filled with the Spirit, right? Some of you think you're led by God when you do things, and it wasn't led by the Spirit at all. Who are we? To, I'm just telling you, man. I tell you what I saw. You know, you know what I saw? I saw, I saw an absolute repentance everywhere. I'm going to talk about that more in a second. But it bothers me that, that there are people that criticize something that, that God has done. Of course, there's always, and there's going to be frauds. I mean, there's frauds in the Baptist world. Yeah, or oh me, right? Both. It's just human nature, but I'm ready for them. And I tell you, I, I wrote this down. I've still got the notes. Right there. I hope I never lose them. And I'll just, I'll read you what I wrote that day. You find it. I wrote down that I believe as a people of God, you will either help them shape history or you will become church history. I mean that. And I believe that was a word for all of us. And I don't believe that was just a word for Clearview. I believe that was a word for all of us. You will either help them shape history or you will become a footnote in church history. You'll become a footnote in it. And I believe that with, with all, all of my heart. Because let me tell you what I saw up there, you guys. And if there's one thing, I, it may be, it may be the first, one of the first few things I noticed. These young adults, they're not asking for permission. 
Do you, do you hear me, Baptist friends? They're not asking for permission. They're not being arrogant. They're, they're not being distasteful. All of us think that they want what we got. They don't. And that doesn't make us bad, and that doesn't make us wrong. I'm just telling you, they're going to do it with us or without us. Either way, they're going to do it. They're going to change church culture. They're going to change it forever. Because, you know, if you go back in the history of Asbury, and if you look at all the awakenings, I think starting in 1906, every, almost every time that happens, guess what comes out of that? Worship pastors, missionaries, professors, teachers in schools, preachers, denominational leaders of all denominations, things come out of that every time. And I'm telling you, I was deeply convicted because, you know, let me tell you, it, it, it matters to me that, that we, we support them. I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself if I'm not careful. I will, I will say this to you. This was the painful part for Jason. Because for the first time in my Christian career, I, I always had been part of the shapers. My generation was always part of the shapers. We, we were always, we were always uh, the people pushing the, the tip of the spear. We were always the change agents. And when I went to Asbury, I was an old man. I didn't like it. Confirmed the first song out of the gate. I didn't even know it. I'm like, what has happened? I was like, they have passed me by. And it didn't feel good. And I realized that, that my, I, at 50, I don't see my, in my mind, I'm like 37, with good abs. And, <laughs> but I'm 50 with not. but they weren't asking for my permission. I'm an elder now, whether I want to be or not. But you know what I decided to do? I'm going to be the best elder I can be for them. Because I know what it feels like to go to seminary and have a denomination in a Christendom that doesn't even give your people a seat at the table. I know how that feels. If you haven't seen Jesus Revolution, this isn't a spoiler. I cried, laughed, especially when they were painting over that car. Um, if you saw that, man, that was, I'm not going to ruin that moment for you. But I did tell my boys, hey, watch this. There's a, if you don't know the story, let me show you a picture. There's a, there's a scene in that movie that there, those two older dudes sitting between, that's Chuck Smith's wife and that's his daughter, and there's two dudes. There's one back there in the far back in that beige cantaloupe-colored coat, and, 
And those guys are really giving, and this, this is a true story, they were really giving Pastor Chuck a really hard time because what was happening on the national landscape was that the hippie movement. How many of y'all, I'm just curious, how many of y'all grew up in the hippie era? Raise your hands really high. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Dig it. Um, the, uh, so, yeah. So, so they meet with Chuck and they say, look, um, you know, we're, we're not, this is not good. And, and there's all this this way, right? And there's a scene in the movie, the place that I, I just had tears coming down my face because the guy, they, he, he tells them, he says, to all the people that nobody's listening to and they're trying to come to Christ and they're baptizing them like crazy. And he says, he says, come, come. And he says, this, this, this is your place. It's your place. And that door is always open. And some of you, you don't like it. And that door is open for you too. And he says in a loving way, but you don't understand. See, we always see our heroes as these valiant warriors. Well, they are 30, 40, 50 years later. But he was putting his whole job on the line. And he knew it. But he cared more about what was happening among the people of God than satisfying some people that were just mad. There's always going to, listen to me, Christian friends. There's always going to be, it was true in the time of Moses. It was true in the time of Jesus. Who gave Jesus the most heat? Pagans? No. Religious people. And so they, these two dudes get up and, and they stand up and one walks out the back door. But in the coolest moment ever, the guy there in the gray hair, he's sitting over here right about kind of where Tommy's at. And he stands up and he starts walking and he just walks over to the other side of the aisle. And he puts his arms around all the hippies. And he says, okay, pastor, let's get moving. And I just cried. Because that's the dude I want to be. That's the guy that I want to be. They're not asking for permission, but I will tell you this. You know, at 22, 23, and 24, and 25, they don't know all the stuff. And they know they don't know all the stuff. And they want our, that's one of the things I think my generation and all of y'all older than me don't understand. They are starving for mentorship. Starving for it. But we've got to mentor them. But by doing that, we've got to let them take the lead in our church. Or you know what's going to happen? They're going to do it anyway. So Jason, what does that mean? I don't really know. That's why we're praying the whole month of April. I don't really know what that means. I'm not there yet. I just know where it's at. But I do know that we're going to have to do, all of us that are not 24, 25, 26 years old, we're going to have to do what that man did. We're going to have to walk to the other side of the aisle and we're going to say, hey, we're in this together. You got things to teach me and I got some things I can teach you too. And we're going to do it together. And it'll be beautiful, you guys. It'll be beautiful. We, have, we can never block their movement because God's doing it. I will say to you a third thing. This is going to be heavy for you, but it's the truth. We must lay down our preferences. You see, the religious people in Acts chapter 2, they didn't prefer. In fact, did you notice what they said right out of the gate to Peter? They're drunk. They're drunk. We don't like that. They're drunk. They didn't prefer it. Peter said, they're not drunk. Something new's happening. And you know what, by the way, everybody sitting in this room, you are a product of that movement. Did you know that? Aren't you glad Peter took a stand? said, no, 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 something new's happening. 
But we've got to lay down our preferences. One of, the, one of the things that professor said when he came in, he actually gave ground rules for the whole thing, which I thought was really cool. But he said this. He said, this whole time worship has led the way. That's a direct quote from him. He said, he said worship has led the way. Worship has led the way in this entire experience. You know what shocked me so much at Asbury when I got out of my vehicle? This is no kidding. The first thing I noticed within the first five seconds of hitting my remote keyless locking my truck. That's about the level of volume for that whole town. When I went up to those law enforcement officers to ask about the line, I said, hey, fellas, I mean, you just didn't talk loud. Like a hush had fallen on that whole community. And when I went in there, you know, it makes sense as I've had days to reflect on it. You know what? You know what? There, were no, there were no PowerPoint screens. There were no instruments. There was a girl with a guitar or a guy with a guitar. Every now and then they had bongos. You got to have bongos. And... But, but, it, but it, it, was, it was as unplugged as unplugged gets. And, but you know what they were all doing? Laying out on their face before God, men and women, lots of young families, like people 30, 32, 33 with little bitty kids. And they were, you know, babies coming up, laying them on the altar, praying over their kids, man. And you saw all these students for, for more than almost two weeks, 24-7, worshiping God. But you know why? Of course it was quiet. Why? What is attacking that generation? What is, what is literally ripping that generation apart? Anxiety. Anxiety. People, people 30 and down, they are getting torn apart, you guys, with anxiety. You know what I think God was doing? He was st- Even the professors were saying, hey, they were so kind. They said, do me a favor. Take your picture and then turn your phone all the way off and be here. They did. I didn't see them scrolling. I mean, some people obviously were. I didn't see them, you know, always videoing. I didn't see anybody selfieing, me and Jesus, you know. No. They were on their face before God. You know why I think God was doing that? This is just Jason's opinion. I think, of course, he was doing it that way because that phone has dominated their life. The comparison, the body image, I'm not good enough. My friend's doing this. They're all doing that. I think God just took it away from them. He said, get on your face and I'll give you new water. It was so quiet. It was so, listen, reverence is not a volume level. That's a direct quote from Jason Cruz. Reverence is not a volume level. Reverence is a state of the heart, but it was reverent. It was reverent. And I remember that professor saying, he told all of the Gen Z, he said, we are bleeding you. He actually said, he said, look at our church. Look at our churches across America for the last, you grew up. He said, you grew up in a a generation where you had light shows and, and, and all the technology and it was so good and it was so good, but our churches are still in decline and we're bleeding your generation and we're sorry. He was saying, we're sorry. We're bleeding you. You don't want what we have. And we're, and we're bleeding you. And I was so touched by that. He was, that, that worship has, has led the way the, the entire time. And it made me think so often, you guys. Think about it. <laughs> 
In, in the New Testament church, in the book of Acts, right here in, in, in Peter, in Acts chapter 2, what did they have? They had no money. They had no technology. They had no internet. They had no resources. And they had all the power. We've got all the money and all the resources. Where's the power? We're losing across this nation. They weren't. Why? Power. Power from the Holy Spirit. Power from the Holy Spirit was, was what you see right there. So I'm going to tell you um, a couple of changes that are going to come to Clearview. Um, very simple ones, but I think very profound ones. And they're going to start next week. Um, at 845, we're going to consecrate. So here's what's going to happen in this room. You know what I, a pastor friend of mine told me? He had talked to people in the worship. Do you know that in order to get on that stage at Asbury to lead the worship, you had to sit through an hour of consecration? Repentance, laying on of hands, confession, before you could even go up there. Boy, you want to talk about a guy burying my head. Oh, my gosh. Boy, Alexis and I both, that hit us pretty hard, didn't it? So here's what's going to happen starting next week. A lot of you like to get here early. Come on, man. But if you come in this room from 845 to 905, I would love for you to, by the way. I would love for anybody here. How, how different, let me ask you something. How different do you think worship would be for you if you came to church early and said, God, whatever's going on in me, do something. I've had an awful week. I'm mad at my husband. God, I think I hate my boss. God, I've got this sin problem, and you know about it, and I don't tell anybody. Well, we know what we're going to do. From 845 to 905, we're going to be in here getting ready. We just are. So if you come in before that time, you are welcome. Don't be talking about football. Talk about football. That's awesome. Just don't do it in here. Because we're going to get ready to go before the Lord. And let me tell you what else we're going to do. At 12 noon, I don't know what else, but I thought I would stay with the letter C. Um, I'm creative that way. Let me tell you what we're going to start doing at 12 noon, starting next week. You're free to go. The second service is free to go. No guilt. I mean it. Say it with me. No guilt. Say it like you mean it. No guilt. Because you may be playing that card one day. No guilt, but let me tell you what our younger generations are telling me this week. I sat with some of our people in their 20s right here for two hours, and we cried. We went, out, we went to God. You know what they want? They, they want worship that isn't bound by a clock. Now, we, some of our people have little bitties, and, hey, man, it's a miracle of God that you even made it today. So it's Okay. I'm serious. I, I should never think that until I had kids. Some Sundays, it's just a miracle of God. You showed up at all. And you, you can't stay. But here's what we're going to do. Some of, some of our people, and this isn't just for our young adults. Some of you older adults, you're sick. And you want God to, to be, you want somebody to lay hands on your shoulder and anoint you. Some of you, you just have a sin problem and you want somebody to pray over you. Some of you, you have a friend that needs Jesus and, and they, they want to be prayed over about their situation. Some of you, some of you got 
grandchildren you want to pray over. Some of you just, you just want more. And so what we're going to do at 12, whenever, whenever I'm done, whenever that time's happening, you're free to go, but then there's going to be, we're, all of those that want to stick around, we're going to stick around. There's going to be no preaching. Zach's going to stay and Alexis is going to stay. Even the band, the band's free to go. But what we're going to do is we're going to sit together and we're going to cry out to God together and we're going to, we're going to worship more together. And that may last 10 minutes or it may last two hours. I don't really know. But as, as a staff, we said, no, we're, if for those that just want more, we're just going to do that. That's going to start next week. Are you willing to pay the price for revival? Are you willing to pay the price for revival? Boy, I hope so. I'm not done yet. I'll be done in a little bit. There is one more key area I want to talk to you about. You know, um, it's going to be a minute. So... I know. I, I ask him to do that when, usually when I'm going too long, but you know, you can play, but I don't know how long this it's, it's usually, I, he doesn't do that to bully me. I ask him to do that uh, before. Um, <laughs> there, there, um, several months ago at one of our Men of Franklin events, uh, Shane had set up this, um, this arm wrestling, like a, a full-blown arm wrestling thing for dudes. Well, Zach Ray challenged me to arm wrestling. I, I, I could not let y'all down. Um, my generation, I felt a, a, a holy responsibility. So I said, okay, big boy, let's go. And so, so we get on that arm wrestling mat. And we start arm wrestling, right? And uh, it's going back and forth. And then, and then uh, in a moment, I find myself that it's probably not going to go the way I had hoped. And, and so, so in, in that, and there's dudes, now there's dudes gathered around. They're watching the arm wrestling with the pastor and the young guy. And so we're, we're arm wrestling, and I'm about right here, right? And look, there's, there is folkloric clear view about what happened beyond that moment. Some, some will tell you that there was an uppercut to the ribs to force weakness. I don't remember that. I, don't, I, I, and I never threw that punch. Um, all I know is I won. And, and I'm, I'm so excited about winning and beating the 27-year-old, right? And, and, and all the dudes are like, oh, you beat Zach, you know, David and Goliath and all this stuff, you know. With the exception of Dr. Greg Cook. And Dr. Greg Cook lets everybody leave. And he looks at me and he says, Don't you ever do that again. Because I was already clearing out my surgery schedule. <laughs> and then if you know Doc, man, he's so gentle, but he was not playing. I was already clearing out my surgery schedule. You can never. I'm like, but I won. And he's like, he was, he's one of my closest friends, and I'm going to tell you, but he was not being a, 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 a gentle friend in that moment. He was being a, a doctor. Now, what I didn't tell Dr. Cook, and if I want him to know this, I will tell him myself. I hurt for about a month. That's the honest truth. But I won. Because good doctors tell you what you need to know. And so do shepherds. They tell you what you need to know. 
And so what I'm going to tell you this morning is that we must lay down our preferences. Because I can tell you right now that if we do not lay down our preferences at clear view, thus saith the Lord, he will bypass us. He will bypass us. Are you willing to pay the price for revival? And the last thing I will tell you this morning is that I would walk away from you and tell you exactly what it said in the book of Joel. Turn to the book of Joel for just a second. Turn to the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 13. And in the book of Joel, Joel is telling them that they must rend their heart. We must, we must, I would say repentance is mandatory for us all. I think that's up there. Yeah, repentance is mandatory for us all. And, and so when it comes to rending your heart, in the book of Joel is what Peter's quoting from. And in Joel chapter 13, chapter 2, excuse me, verse 12, it says, I spent a lot of time in Asbury reading the book of Joel, especially this chapter, and it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, verse 12, Return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Rend your heart and not your garments. See, you ought to understand something. This is a really big deal in the Old Testament. When God tells his people to do something, it's because they're not doing it, Right? So, for instance, when you read the Old Testament prophets and they say, shame, you should cry, it's because they've lost, stay with me, they've lost the ability to cry. You should be crying, but you forgot how. When he says, rend your hearts, typically what a Jew would do is they would, they would rip their clothes in, in guilt. They would rip their clothes because of sinfulness. And what he's saying is, no, I want you to go beyond your clothes and I want you to go into that cavity and I want you to rip your heart open. You know why? Because it's hard. So anytime you see an Old Testament prophet saying, forgive, it's because they aren't. Weep, it's because they aren't. They've forgotten how. Be shamed because they aren't feeling. They've lost the capacity for shame. He's saying, rend. That's the word. Look at that. Look at that word, rend. Rend your heart, not your garments. You see, I'm a product. We must repent. And you say, Jason, repent from what? All of it. All of it. Preferences, demands, demands. See, I'm a product of a seminary generation, and we were taught something. And it's not bad. It was good. It's, not, it's what we did with it. it. It's just like the Internet. It's not bad or good. It's what we did with it. And, and we were, I grew up in the church growth era when everything was about a strategy. It was all, if we could just get the right pastor, and if we could just get the right worship leader, and if we could just build the right building on the right location, and if we could just get all the right programming, surely it will change. Look around for the last 50 years, friends. It didn't work. It worked in a few churches, but it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work, but we tried. And some, for some people, it did work, but for all across the country, it didn't work. It didn't work, and we have to rend our hearts from that. I really believe I heard a word from God for us today at Clearview while I was up there, and it is this. Stop. Stop seeking corporate leadership principles to fix my church. You seek these solutions because it's what you know, but I'm calling you to go to a land you don't know, new ground. I believe that's a word for all of us today. I also heard another word. I heard another word from the Lord. And this was a word for me and a word for you because I told you I was an elder for the first time in my life and I didn't know how to do that. You know, in, in Joel chapter 2, in the very, toward the very end, 
when Peter quotes him in, in verse 28, and it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. Well, I wrote this down in these notes. I'm just going to, I put it on the screen, but I'm going to read it from the notes that day. Old men cannot dream new dreams unless they want new dreams. There is no more new ground for you unless you become hungry for it. What you've had to this point is all you will ever have unless you cry out for new dreams and act on what you've been instructed. And you guys, that's not a word for all of you that are over 60. That's a word for me. I don't want to be watching while everybody else gets to play. I don't. So I'm going to tell you about hunger. You can't dream dreams unless you're hungry, folks. You can't dream dreams unless you're hungry for God. And I want to tell you, I want to tell, I want to tell you in Williamson County, for all of our churches, I believe this is true in America. I do. I believe it's true in Williamson County. And I also believe it's true at Clearview. We are ecclesiastically obese. So what do you mean by that, Jason? We have everything. But people that are, that are full discriminate on what they'll eat. A hungry person could care less. They'll eat anything. And I believe what God is calling us to is hunger. And hunger comes with a promise. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be left empty. be full. We've been very blessed at this church. Don't hear that as a negative. But when we got all we want, all we do is focus on what we're not getting. But when you're hungry, you're glad for anything. Are we willing to pay the price for revival? You know, it means a lot to us that you would come here today and be a part of who we are. It, it really does matter to us more than you might realize. Sometimes I think we underestimate the power we have to influence people. You know, if you would look around your world, you'd be amazed at how many people would receive what you have to say to them. You could be a digital missionary. You don't have to post everything on Facebook, or we're not asking you to go on your favorite social platform, but I would challenge you to look around your world. I guarantee you might have a friend, even in a different state or another part of the world, Something was said today, whether a sermon, a prayer, a song, something was said that could mean a lot to them. Man, send it to them. You'd be amazed at how much of a difference that could make.